And we're live. Yep, we're live. We're testing different times of the day. It's in the afternoon, Wednesday. So, you ready? 4.30. Let's do it. Yeehaw! Yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real Investing Show, where we talk about real investing. That's correct. And That's today, <laughs> what's what's our topic? Today, we're going to be talking about um, uh, we're going to talk about um, Airbnbs versus long term rentals. Okay. So back in the day, when I first started doing, when I first started investing in real estate, um, you know, it was like buy and hold is where you make all your money because right. you, you know, you you get a property, you can hold it forever all the tax benefits, all the cash flow. Uh, but now there are more options with Airbnbs and and um, VRBO and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, and you've had a good bit of experience with that. You actually have a, a whole portfolio of Airbnbs as well as uh, traditional rentals. So um, I thought it'd be great for us to learn, myself included, learn from you on that. So um, so yeah, where, where should we start? Like, let's just say I am a guy who knows about, I know about traditional rentals. Um, I've heard of investing in Airbnbs, but I've never actually done it myself. And I want to know, how do I decide if a house could be an Airbnb? What's better? What's worse? Talk to me. Yep. So, um, usually from a legal perspective, it's considered long-term rental or short-term rental. Short-term rental would be an Airbnb. Uh, uh, Airbnb would be a short-term rental. VRBO, there's several different sites out there that you can rent it out on. There's even kind of these hybrid models where they're more like corporate housing. So Mm -hmm. it's for people that are going to be um, in a place for anywhere from, you know, four to eight weeks. And so you may like a traveling nurse or something along those lines. Uh, There are there are opportunities to cater to those people as well. So back in the day, you talked about buy and hold. And with buy and hold, you're absolutely right. Like there's all of these additional uh, benefits in comparison to doing a flip, right? Like you're going to buy and hold, but now you can buy and hold it and you can either long-term rent it or short-term rent it. And with the short-term rental, um, man, there's just like Airbnb gives an, uh, the ability for someone to dramatically increase the cash flow of their properties. Um, so you may, you may be able to do a, a faster equity pay down, or you just can create more cash flow, depending on what you're looking for. So, okay, you, you said something that interested me a minute ago. You said short term versus long term. Now, are there are the tax implications different then? Ooh, uh, talk to it. Well, I mean, the way you make your money may be considered, maybe classified differently. It may be considered more active uh, okay. income. I see. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. You talk to your CPA, you can structure it in different ways. We structured ours um, more like an S corp. So uh, more money could pass through and then just pay us a, a salary. So, uh, but from a, the, the legal difference in most, so the difference between a short-term rental and a long-term rental legally is usually considered 30 days. So most municipalities consider any rental over 30 days to be long-term rentals and then all of the long-term rental rules and regulations apply. If it's below 30 days, if you're renting it out for less than 30 days, then short-term rental 
uh, rules and regulations apply. Okay. Okay. So, and what are, do you know off hand some every examples? Municipal, every municipality is different in this. Some have literally no regulations. Some it's just completely outlawed. Um, I know that like New York City will have weird ones where it's like you have to live in the building, but then you can rent it out. Uh, some will go like some cities go off of zoning where they're they're going to allow short term rentals in certain zoning uh, in the city that I have mine in. Well, I have in three. I'm in three different cities. Two of those cities don't have any rules and regulations specific to it. Just fall under the normal real estate rules and regulations. Um, and then one of the cities that I have several in, uh, they have a permitting process and inspection uh, process every year. And uh, then you have to pay your transient tax. So you're like hotel motel tax in addition to uh, normal sales tax. Interesting. So, yeah. <clears throat> okay. So now uh, wow, that's interesting. And does that come out automatically through Airbnb? Do they facilitate that or do you have to do that yourself? So Airbnb will facilitate certain parts of it. Uh, mm -hmm. and they'll actually pay your income tax to the state or not income tax, your, uh, sales tax to the state on your behalf. They'll go ahead and collect those and pay those. They don't pay for municipality taxes. So they'll collect them for you, but then you have to pay that. Okay. So, um, you know, uh, pros and cons, pros and yeah. cons to Airbnb versus long-term rental. So the pros. Yeah to a short-term rental is you're going to cash flow more each month, or you should, if you're not cash flowing more each month, you're, you need to switch to long-term rental. Um, but you should be able to cash flow a significantly uh, a greater amount each month than with long-term rental. The, uh, so when you say significant, are you talking probably 25%? Your gross is going to probably be, double or a little more of what you would rent it out at. Okay. Um, so now from that, and the reason I say your growth is because from that you, you're paying utilities that you wouldn't pay if it was a long-term rental, you know, you have ma additional maintenance costs, you have cleaning fees, all of those things can cut into your profitability. For us, we've probably increased our profitability roughly 50% increase to what we would be able to rent it out long-term. So about one and a half X uh, in comparison now, but my mortgage is the same whether I'm long-term or short-term. So my cash flow is three or four <laughs> times greater with mm -hmm. a short-term rental than it would be a long-term rental. Does that make sense? Let me see if I understand. So you're saying you're with the Airbnbs you have, you're getting 1.5 times more profit not gross so uh yeah so what i'm bringing in each month is going to be about one and a half times what it would be for a rental so let, let me just put this in round terms yeah. let's say if i could rent out a house for a thousand dollars a month mm -hmm. i'm probably going to short-term rent that out for twenty five hundred dollars a month now i'm okay. going to have additional expenses so let's say it turns into being fifteen hundred dollars a month that i'm actually getting after all of my expenses yeah. uh in a comparison standpoint well yeah. let's say i had a mortgage on that and it was 750 dollars. yeah okay so if it were long-term rental i'm only cash flowing 250 dollars a month if i'm renting that out for a thousand dollars a month 
Mm-hmm. The fact that I'm able to get $1,500 a month from a short-term rental, now I'm now I'm cash flowing $750 a month. That's three times. So my cash flow is probably going to be 3x. My <laughs> What I'm bringing in is, is going to be about one and a half times after I pay those other expenses, what I would get on a, a long-term rental. Got it. So that's the benefit. The benefit yeah. is you're you're able to, I mean, like in that situation where you're 3xing your cash flow. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah, go ahead. No, so how do you decide? Uh, so you you buy a house in an area you like, you you know, you want to hold it long term. How do you decide if you're gonna um, do traditional long term rental or if you're gonna Airbnb it? Great question. I'm going to run comps just like you would if you were flipping it. So you're going to look at what are, are there other Airbnbs in the area? How often are they rented out? What's their occupancy rate? What's their average nightly rate? And then I'm going to take the average nightly rate, the average occupancy rate of a light property, and I'm going to run my numbers to determine if this is a good one. And a great resource for that is Price Labs. It's a paid resource. It's not something that if you're just kind of thinking about possibly doing it, you want to do. Uh, but if you're going to be doing this on a consistent basis, uh, Price Labs does two things. It has dynamic pricing. So it's going to, it's got an algorithm that's a lot like what hotels use. And so as demand increases, the prices increase. And as demand lowers, the prices lower. And it takes care of that for you. Uh, and then the other thing that it does is it gives you uh, more insight into a particular market so you can really get dig into those numbers because those numbers are a little hard to to figure out if you're you can do it. But it's very cumbersome to go through each individual Airbnb listing, looking at their calendar to see when's available and when's not yeah. and kind of figuring that out on your own where a dynamic pricing tool like that or uh, a resource like that that can put all that in data format for you, for you to look at easily. It's called Price Labs. Price Labs. Uh, AirDNA is another one, but it's a more expensive tool. So we chose to go with Price Labs. And what? And when you say expense, like what? Give me a range of the price on Price. Price. You know Labs. what? I don't know. Uh, price Labs is very affordable. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was, but I was actually pleasantly surprised with how affordable it was. Like tens of dollars a month. Um, or hundreds of dollars a yeah. Month. No, it was like. It was in the tens of dollars a month. I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. I'm just kind of, I know we're doing our podcast, but I'm just kind of asking questions. I want to know the answers to. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll check that out and I'll, I'll look at that in a little bit yeah. and I'll put it up here. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So um, talk to me about managing Airbnbs. It seems like there'll be a lot more with management. So what does that look like? Okay, so I want to answer that, and that's going to go under the cons list. Oh, okay, okay, uh, for sure. So, so keep going with pros if you're. So and yeah, so the other pro the other benefit to an Airbnb is you're getting eyes on your property far more often. So, Stephen, have you ever been in a situation where you rented it out and they rented it out for two or three years, and then you got that property back, and it's not anywhere close to the property that you rented to them? Oh man, yeah. Oh, that's happened before? That's so surprising. As a matter of fact, you bought one from me like that, that I believe you turned into an Airbnb on Northwest 20th. I did. I did. <laughs> and Is this an Airbnb for you? Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's an Airbnb. Yeah. And uh, and it's done pretty well. Uh, it's not one of our best ones, but it's done well. That one has five bedrooms and five, you know, more beds, more heads, and the, the higher nightly rate you're able to get. So that was a that was a good one for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that that is a uh, 
that's a huge benefit in my opinion is we're able to get eyes on the property on a consistent basis. You know, we've got a maintenance team and a cleaning team that's literally going in after every single turnover. Yeah. So you never, you never get a major surprise. You'll get a, you know, Oh, they, they kind of trash it, but how, I mean, they, they, they can only do so much damage knock on wood. In, yeah. Overnight or in one yeah, week, on a weekend. Like, I mean, it's, it's usually it's minor things. A, a, a lamp broke or there's, you know, uh, bedding that's that's got a stain on it. Um, okay, cons. Number one con, like number one. Can I ask one follow up question on that? Yeah. The eyes on it. Okay, so when we talk about eyes on it, how hard is it with Airbnb? So you Airbnb a property, and let's say they break a lamp. How, like, how hard is it to get Airbnb like to charge them or something like yeah. that? Yeah. So, oh, great question. I'm really glad you asked that. So with with, if it is a okay, if if a tenant or a guest ruins something and it's under a hundred dollars, it's probably not worth going after them for. Okay. So what we did as a way to help mitigate that is we we just put a twenty five dollar owner's fee yeah. on every single stay. And our thought process, and it kind of works out, is about every four or five stays, we're gonna have some bedding or we're gonna have something that. We need to replace and, and update. And, and so that that helps offset that expense. Uh, mm-hmm. And it just goes under the owner's fee. Okay. Um, we did have an incident one time <laughs> where uh, a uh, we had an incident where the bathtub spout had been leveraged, over leveraged. And yeah. uh, I can only imagine how that happened. But it, the bathtub spout had been bent down. So, like, there was a significant amount of weight on that spout. And it broke. That's not weird. Yeah. It no, broke, that's not weird at all. It broke the, the, the spigot coming out. And then it broke the uh, tile, like, right above it. Well, we can't replace just that tile. We had to pay a plumber to go in there. It was, like, a $2,300 because we ended up retiling the whole thing. And Airbnb stepped in and paid, like, they... They paid for that because they have up to a million dollar coverage for incidents like that. They wow. paid for that and then uh, went and charged the the guests for it. Wow. So I wonder what the heck they did. That's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can't Never mind. Yeah. So uh, where were we? So, so you're getting to, to see this. So you're not letting a house just get completely deteriorated, which yeah. we know can happen, especially if you have animals and things like that. So that's an advantage. Here are some disadvantages to uh, a short-term rental or mm-hmm. yeah, short-term rental, the management, the communication. There is so much communication, especially if you want to be a good Airbnb host. You got to think like people are coming in. They're going to have questions as to what the property is like. They're going to have questions as to what the area is like. So you're you're communicating a lot uh, before they get there. Then you're communicating how to check in. Then you're communicating, uh, you know, and and these are we use templated formats for a lot of this. But here's how to turn on the TV and log into the Wi-Fi and, you know, all these different things that people have questions on. And so you spend a lot of time answering these questions. Then if something goes wrong. Unlike with a long-term rental um, where you may have a few days to get somebody out there, depending on what the issue is, if someone's only staying one or two nights, there's a sense of urgency to that. And right. so like just the other day, we had a, uh, you know, a, a refrigerator that's only like a year old 
mm-hmm. uh, like froze and, and wasn't working anymore. And so, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to stop that noise, bro. I'm so <laughs> sorry. An important call. Um, no, you're good. So we are, uh, so we like went and bought a mini fridge because this is someone's 4th of July weekend. You know, they're, they're expecting to have a good time. They're expecting to have a re- working refrigerator. So it's like, we had to go get a, a mini fridge and put that in. You know, if that were a long-term rental, you, 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 you well, first off, you may not even offer a refrigerator that might be the tenants. Yeah. Um, and if, and if not, then, you know, you may be able to get a, a guy out there, you know, the, the next business day. Right. Um, so there's just not that same sense of urgency. Um, Interesting. So that's, that's one other thing, uh, communication and, um, trying to think what else the, there is a significant amount more sh- like intentional focus to, make sure that your guests have a good experience if you want to maintain a super host status mm-hmm. super host status is uh means you have to have a 4.8 star average across your airbnbs and they reward you with that you're going to get up toward the top of the list you're going to be found easier you're going to like and guests know that they can trust a super host so having super host status is a big deal Maintaining superhost status is catering a lot to people uh, in in sometimes ways that you don't think you should have to cater to them, and mm-hmm. they just have high expectations and and managing that. So that can be the a, a stressor. I it's interesting you say that when I I've stayed in lots of Airbnbs across the country, and I have had. I had one or two surprisingly not good experiences. And so since then I've, I've filtered all my searches to, to find super hosts. Yeah. And, so. and, it, and it makes a big deal to your bottom line. We, we lost super host status and here's the deal is like you get one bad review, right? Like you really tick somebody off and they give you a two or three star, right? Just cause they're mad. Uh, you are going to, it's going to take, so many stays at five stars to get back to that 4.8 star average. And that's what we, that's what we face is we had a couple of, of experiences that went poorly. Um, And what, you know, just, it only takes a couple and then boom, you're, you're struggling to get back. We, you know, we got back, but it, it's, it's a, it's a lot of, you know, problem solving for people that you're like, man, like you, you should be able to figure out how to, Mm-hmm. Turn the AC down on your own. We literally had somebody ask. So one of the things that we do uh, to give a great experience is we ask our guests before they get there. All of our all of our properties have uh, a Nest thermostat. By the way, mm-hmm. there are certain things that if you're going to have it as an Airbnb, you need to have a a key code on the door. Um, and I would actually highly recommend uh, Yale Autumn because it can link directly to Airbnb and it generates a new code for each guest. And that code expires after each guest's stay. So it, it's called it, what Yale Yale autumn. How do you spell so, that? Like autumn, like fall, like the season. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and 
and Yale is the brand, but the autumn mm-hmm. is like their series. And there's a couple of different ones, but it actually links to your Airbnb account, generates a new code each time. And that way you don't have to give out the same code because you give out the same code 20 different times. You've got 20 different guests that have the access to your property. Mm-hmm. Um, you also want to automate several things. So like we automated where we put a, a nest in on all of our uh, Airbnbs. So it's a smart, smart thermostat uh, that we can control remotely. And so what we'll do is we would we would reach out to a guest and say, you know, when you arrive, what temperature do you want the house to be? Just as like that extra little, mm-hmm. you know, hey, we're trying to provide great service for you. Um, we had somebody reach out one time at like 11 o'clock at night asking us to adjust the thermostat for them. And we're like, it's the dial, you turn it. Like, so, I mean, just things like that, that you're like, I never thought I would have to be there. So those are some of those kind of more extreme examples, but here's what I want people to know. There are benefits to being an Airbnb. I have Airbnbs. I like Airbnbs because you can cash flow greatly. However, you have to understand that you are trading time for money when you are managing it yourself. Now, yeah. if you want to pay a third party to manage it, you're back into the same position as you were more of a passive investor. But if you're doing it yourself, you're trading time for money and you're creating a job. This is not for somebody that has a full-time job and can't do this whenever it's necessary. Yeah. Like it does tie you back to your phone quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so great Great information. Um, anything else you want to share about Airbnb? We have, uh, I probably have about eight minutes before I've got a hard stop. Okay. And we can do a little bit of Q&A unless you have anything else on Airbnbs. One other thing to factor in is your upfront cost in setting up an Airbnb. So mm-hmm. on our last, uh, and with prices going up like they have, mm-hmm. I mean, to, to make a, a nice Airbnb and not just totally cheap out, for a three bedroom, two bath, you're probably going to be spending close to $20,000. And that's, you know, cause you're buying beds, bedding, silverware, all the furniture, TVs, everything that goes into a house. And you're usually starting from new. So, and then, um, you know, all the stuff that goes into it. So, um, be sure to factor that in and don't, don't undersell yourself and think, Oh yeah, I can, I can do this for $8,000. You probably can't, uh, unless you're yeah. buying all used furniture. Right. Now, yeah. mm, good. It's all good stuff, man. I'm glad we recorded this because you know, you're going to go back and watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I've been looking at Airbnbs and, and stuff. Uh, so, um, okay, cool. Would you like to uh, take some time and do some rapid fire Q and a? Yes, sir. I'm going to pull well, up my questions. The first one I have is from one of our viewers who asks, this is from uh, Greg Wood. Yeah. First question, what do I need to do to get my first investment property? What do I need to do to get my first investment property? There's a lot of steps there, right? Uh, I would, I mean, mm. all right, rapid fire. One, start with figure out your criteria, understand what you, where you want, what you want to do. What is your end goal? Uh, Are you looking for some quick cash? Are you looking for long-term wealth? What is your goal? Define your criteria and then start looking for that criteria. Then two, find the deal and know that you like, and, and start looking and spend 10 minutes a day and look at five deals every day that come on the market. 
Most of the time you're saying, no, that's not a deal. That's not a deal. That's not a deal. You start to familiarize yourself with your criteria. You're going to find a deal because you're going to know what your criteria is. And mm-hmm. then three, make sure that you've got the money to be able to secure it. Um, you know, whether that's a hard money lender and just underwrite your numbers to a hard money lender. If you've got cash, great. You, right. you can underwrite easier. Is that a, is that too yeah. long? No, I mean, it, it is, it is what it is. I mean, another thing, it hit, hit one of us up, Greg, and we might be able to help you with that, you know, message me or message Taylor. And, and so t- Taylor, by the way, Taylor Davis is with, um, what's the title of your, uh, your company in Norman? Well, I'm with Keller Williams, but uh, home sales by Davis at Keller home, Williams. Home sales by Davis with Keller Williams. So you could probably help a first time uh, investor as well. Hundred um, percent, and that's actually one of the first things we do is we do a buyer consultation. Yeah, we understand what your wants and needs are, and we help you define your criteria. Yeah, so um, so Greg, that might be worthwhile. Uh, you know, contacting Taylor and scheduling an appointment. And uh, Taylor's been buying investment properties since like the mid two thousands. So, um, and he's and he's a real estate agent in Norman. So, um, uh, and you work all over Central Oklahoma. Correct. Um, actively and all have, over Oklahoma. And, yeah. and I love having conversations with people. So if people yeah. want to reach out, I'm happy to have a, a yeah. one-on-one. So there you go, Greg. And I'll, I'll tag Taylor in this. Maybe tag yourself in the comments, Taylor. Um, uh, Greg Greg uh, commented there. Okay, next question. You got all right. One? What is the scariest part about investing in real estate? What is the scariest part of investing in real estate. The scariest part for me now is missing out on a good deal. There's this, it's an irrational fear, but in the back of my mind, I think, man, this could be a really good deal. I don't want to pass it up. But reality that that's a myth, that's a fear. And that's a myth. Reality is uh, there's always going to be another deal. Like there's always another deal. So that for me is the scariest thing now. When I very first started, but see, I, we bought our first property when I was 19 years old. So my scariest thing back then was, am I going to be able to afford it? Is it going to be, am I going to get into too many expenses? Is it going to cost me too much? But like, that was only my very first deal. And I was like, okay, yeah, this will work. Um, but now my scariest thing about real estate is, you know, am I going to pass up something that I really should buy? Right. So that's a good question, bro. Um, next question for you. In our last episode, um, let me frame it this way. Taylor, you said that you grew up poor and that motivated you and kept you hungry when you first started getting involved in real estate. Right. Well, now, without sharing too much about your personal information, you are very far from poor at this point. What keeps you hungry and motivated now? What keeps me hungry and motivated now? Habit? I have a habit of being hungry and motivated. Um, okay. I, I think that it's comfortable for me to be hungry and motivated. It's almost uncomfortable to sit around and not have something. So I think that that was a habit at some point I developed. Um, but also I have a really big why. Um, like, so let me, re- let me re-answer that question. I have a big why. And I love to help and see people have success through real estate. So like my big why is like to help others create wealth through real estate. And that's because as I started to create wealth through real estate, 
I looked around and I was like, I don't want to do this alone. Like I, I love to see other people coming along and doing it. So like, I mean, this is big, this is big mindset, but my big hairy audacious goal is one day I want to have a net worth of a hundred million dollars. I want to help 10 people get to a net worth of $10 million. And I want to help a hundred people get to a net worth of a million dollars plus. So that's my big goal that drives me and that pushes me to see what's next. Yeah. It's exciting. Good word, man. We probably have time for maybe two more short ones. Two short ones. Yeah. Okay. So let's, I'm going to go back to kind of the same question, but I'm going to ask you what was the scariest. So let's go back to like, what was the scariest thing you faced when you first started in real estate? The scariest thing I faced when I first got involved in real estate, I was working, I was 19 years old. I was working for like $10 an hour. I was working on floors and doing ceramic tile. And the scariest thing was I had, I was 19, I already had two kids. And like, we were, man, we were like right on the edge financially. And I saved money, but we just didn't have a lot of extra. So the scariest thing for me was something big would happen. And I wouldn't have the money to fix it. That was the scariest thing for me. How many people do you know that have done more than two deals and not made it as a real estate investor? Um, I don't know. No one comes to mind. I would say that I don't. So I don't know anyone personally. All right. So the question is, how many people do I know that have done two or more deals and have not made it in real estate? I don't know of anyone personally, but because of research, a lot of times we will target people that own two houses or less. Okay. And sometimes they become tired landlords. Okay. So I would say it this way. If you are active with your properties in management and repairs and everything else, then you can make it pretty easily, even if you just have one property or two properties. If you're relying on professional contractors and if you're relying on a professional property management company, there's not going to be nearly as much margin there. And you're going to really need to have more like eight to 10 properties before you are cash flowing well. Would you agree with that? Um, I, I think it depends. Uh, so in general, yes. Can yeah. you get around that? Yes. I, I think that, um, so the reason I ask is I think everyone is, has that exact fear, the fear that you had when you first started, especially on their first one is, can I do this? And the right. truth is, is on your first one, you're as inexperienced as you will ever be. Yeah. Right. And so we, we tend to, so I've seen people try this one time. They, in their mind failed or just didn't do as well as they thought. And so they gave up and they're like, yeah, that real estate was a horrible investment for me. Well, mm -hmm. you were as inexperienced as you could possibly be. You've only done one deal. Mm -hmm. And and so if you have the experience, if you go two or three or four, you'll, you see people that do two, three or four deals. Of course, they're going to find success in it because real estate is mm -hmm. fairly easy to be successful in. It's not rocket science. You just, mm -hmm. you may make your mistakes and you're probably going to mm -hmm. make those early on, but people fail to look at it as education. And that's what cracks me up is you'll go to a university and spend $200,000 for an education to go get a job starting at $60,000 a year. Right. But you, you only made 
$1,000 on your flip or you've got a rental that barely cash flows and you go, yeah, that was a failure. And it's like, no, that doesn't make sense. You made all you, yeah, you learned all these things. Hmm. Right. That's right. a good, I'm going to be reflecting on that answer for a while. Let me throw you one more uh, quick one, Taylor, then we'll wrap up. Um, is, in, is investing in real estate get rich quick? No, it shouldn't be. Investing in real estate should never be a get rich quick scheme. Um, getting, okay, first off, if you're getting rich quick, you're, you're, if you're in real estate to get rich quick, you're sacrificing all of the benefits that real estate provides. And that is long-term wealth. Like you're sacrificing the long-term for the short-term. And that's why I don't flip houses hardly at all anymore. We do it on occasion, just if it happens to be the right thing at the right place. And we, it doesn't fit our criteria for a hold, but I can make some money on a flip. I'll do that. Yet, for the most part, I'm looking for buy and hold strategies because that's where the wealth is. Yeah, it's a good word. Taylor, I love you, man. Thanks for doing the show. Dude, we'll be back. Awesome. See you next hey, time. Hey, guys, share this with your friends. Follow Taylor. Follow me. Like, comment, share. Send us your questions about real estate. Thanks for watching The Real Investing Show.